Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on the mother of manipulation. I'm excited today to bring you what I have to share. Um, It's going to be fun, and we're going to grow because of it. Because here we are, Lord. Just speak. That's all we need you to do today is speak. We're here. We're ready. We're not wasting our time. We just want to hear you speak today. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is true. We thank you that everything that comes from your mouth is true. We thank you that every uh, thing the Holy Spirit leads us in is true. And we love you. We love you. We love you. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. The last few times I've got to speak, I can't say the last few weeks because it's a... John, somebody thinks I'm John. I keep getting these text messages for John. Spam. It's not fun. It's not hard. (laughs) John, Sunday, fun day, is going to be gigantic by winning the pot. Try attempts to win or opt out. I've opted out 400 times. Anyway. So, I'm not even John. (laughs) You call me Michael or even Jerry. It's my first name. I would might think you knew who I was. It may be tempted to read what you write, but when you start with, hey, John, I know it's just not for me. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead. Anybody say amen to that? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, all, remember what all means in scripture? So, does that leave anybody in here out? We all, we too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Look at the person beside you and say, I didn't know you did that. I did not know that you did that. (laughs) Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature, say by nature, nature. children of wrath, even as the rest. (laughs) Verse 4, but God... There you go. That's good. I didn't tell you to say that, but you had to say it, didn't you? You just, it just welled up in you. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together. Say together. together. With Christ, by grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him. With who? Christ, the one that we were made alive together with, right? That's him. And seated us with him, who? 
Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, why? So that in the ages to come, I'm just going to see what y'all do. It's fun. So in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God, being rich in mercy, brought us out of our dead, uh, light, dead death in transgressions so that we could do amazing stuff for the kingdom. So that we could do a whole lot of work and attend church. So that we could follow all the rules. So that in the ages to come... He might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He pulled you out of death and transgressions to sit you in a seat so he could give you stuff for the ages to come. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not only of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God, being rich in mercy, pulled us out of our death and transgressions and made us alive together with Christ and sat us beside him so that he could lavish on us from now throughout all eternity the riches of his kingdom. How do we mess that up? So bad. Look at Genesis 15 and 1. When I start trying to figure out what is the lavishing of his kingdom, what do we get? What is the prize? What is the reward? Look at Genesis 15 and 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So Abram's exceeding great re reward was God himself. So when we think, man, that's awesome, I'm seated with Christ and I'm going to get stuff the rest of my life. I'm going to go outside and see if my new car's out there yet. And I believe in biblical principles and I believe that God wants us to prosper. I believe that. I believe that if we obey his word, that he'll make things uh, that he won't make things. He's already made things. He's already done all he's going to do. But we'll, we'll, if we'll align with what he's done, we'll see the fruit of the harvest that he's already sown to prepare for us. Amen? But our greatest reward is just him. So this picture is he picks us up, he sits us with his son so that he can give himself to us for all of eternity so that we can know him and be known by him. In Genesis chapter 4, I think we read this last week, and I don't think I'm going to read all of it today. But it talks about the difference between a child and a slave. And there's no difference between a, a child and a slave until the child becomes mature because a child is treated like a slave. It's told where to go, what to do, all these things. But when we come into maturity, a child is different than a slave, right? 
a child in the house gets different treatment than a slave in the house. But there is a time when we're no different. Let me just read it. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things. Say elemental things. Of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So you see this picture, like he pulled us out of the death of our transgressions, right? It, our dead life. He pulled us out of all of that to seat us by his son. And then it says he sent his son to pull us out of all that so that we would be his children. So here's the picture. God did everything that he did to pull us out, to sit us down with our brother and be our dad. That's pretty much the gospel in a nutshell. We were away, he wanted us back at the table with his son, and he wanted to have family dinner, period. So he brought us back so that we cry, Abba, Father, therefore you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Look at verse 8. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you would turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? All right, so when you did not know God, or to say it better, we're not known by God, you subjected yourself to elemental things. But now that you've known God or you've been known by God, why in the world would you subject yourself back to those elemental things? These elemental things are talking about the law. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain because I've presented to you this kingdom. I've presented to you this father, and I've presented him to you in a way that you would know him, and I've presented him to you in a way that you would want to be known by him, and yet after all of that, you let elemental things slip back in and rob you of being known by God. John was singing during worship today that he knows us, he knows us, he knows us, he knows all about us. There's a difference from God knowing us and us being known by God. See, God knows us whether we want him to know us or not. But when we are complicit, when we partner with him knowing us, then we're known by God. There's a great value in being known by God. Like, 
I can know you in this room. I can know all your stuff. I can know all your stories. I can know, like, somebody else could come and tell me all your stuff, and I've never even met you before, okay? And I can know all your stuff. But when you're sitting in your room by yourself and you just wish somebody knew who you were and knew what your stuff was and had something that they could say to you to help you in that, I'm going to be of no benefit to you. I know you, but you don't know I know you, so I'm not, you're not known by me. Am I, y'all with me? Am I making sense of this? So God knows you. He knows all of us, but he's only known, you're only known by him when you are, un, you understand and you're complicit in and partnering with him knowing you. Then him knowing, that's the only way him knowing you has any power in your life. Okay. He can know you, and he can know what you need. He can know what you don't need. He can know all that stuff. But until you bring the things that he knows and you willingly participate with him and him knowing you, then that invites him to be a part of uh, affecting the things that he knows about you. So when we did not know him and we weren't known by him, we would try to do things to prove that we know him. But the things that we did did no more make him know us than anything. Okay? So the elemental things that we try to do really make it more difficult for us to be known. Because we're trying to do more than we're trying to be known. And so we go back to these elemental things and we start trying to do them and then we're not known. You know, Abraham had two sons. He had Ishmael by Hagar and he had Isaac by Sarah. Ishmael was conceived out of an attempt for man to receive the promise of God by leaning to man's own understanding on how to get to the promise of God, and it failed. Isaac was a son that was miraculously born as God promised to bring about what God promised. Now, these two things go way deeper than just these two sons. These, this is the question we have to ask today. Are we Ishmael or are we Isaac? Do we attempt to know something without being known by something? Do we attempt to approach God by what we know about God and we try to take what we know about God and let it produce in us a relationship with God? Or do we try to just let God be God and let's bring who we are to Him and be known by Him?
and let him finish the work that he's promised in our life. Here's the deal. We attempt to manipulate all our circumstances and situations in life. Remember last week we talked about that was the temptation that Satan brought to Jesus in the wilderness. God had just said, this is my beloved son. Then Satan came after he had fast, Jesus had fasted 40 days. Satan comes to tempt him and says, if you are the son, do this. And so Jesus said, I don't fall for that. I am the son. And let me tell you what dad said about that. See, but Abraham didn't do that. Abraham... You know, we, we, it, it's not in the story, but somewhere Abraham had a conversation like Jesus had in the wilderness. Somewhere Abraham wrestled with the truth and the lie. And somehow Abraham chose to turn the rock into bread. Abraham did not withstand the test that Jesus withstood. And it caused slavery. It caused bondage. It caused illegitimacy. When Abraham finally said, as God says, so be it, then freedom was able to be born. This is all going to make more sense, I hope. When Isaac got older and his eyes were dim, okay, that his two sons came to him. And he told Esau, go out and kill me some of the portion that you like, that I love, Bring it to me so that I can bless you before I die. Jacob, which means supplanter, that has a history of being this, right? Jacob, but what's neat is Jacob actually didn't even hear the conversation. You know who heard the conversation? Rebecca, his mom, heard the conversation. So mama said, Jacob, you're my favorite. So I got a plan. Go get some of this meat. I'll cook it just like Isaac likes it. And then you can take it into him. He'll think you're Esau, and he'll give you the blessing. And so Jacob said, but, but, but I've got smooth skin and all this. So they literally go get fur off of animals and put it on Jacob's hands and on Jacob's neck. And they put Esau's clothes on him so he can smell like Esau. And Rebekah helps Jacob deceive Isaac. So Isaac go, Jacob goes in to Isaac to receive the blessing. Isaac is like, well, come here, let me smell you. Make sure you're Esau. Smells him, pass the test. Well, come here, let me touch you. Oh, yeah, that is you. Puts him through these tests and discovers, believes that it's Esau, so he pronounces blessing on him see religion is the mother of manipulation and you can be religious and not know God 
or better yet, not be known by God. The problem that you have is that God is not Isaac and his eye is not dim. You're not going to trick him and you're not going to fake him and you're not going to walk in redemption life and fullness of the blessing by trying to trick God. He knows better. What is so beautiful is that God is so faithful that in Genesis chapter 32, God himself wrestles with Jacob. But check this out. Then Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What? It worked with Isaac. It don't work with God. You can wrestle with me all day. You can put hair on your face. You can put your clothes on. You can do whatever you want to do to try to make me bless you. But there's only one way that you can be blessed by me. He said, I won't let you go till you bless me. Verse 27. Look at this. So he said to him, what is your name? Man, you're a good wrestler. You're a good faker. You're good at doing all the stuff. But you didn't have to do any of that. All you had to do was be known by me. He said, what is your name? And Jacob, for the first time in his life, quit playing games. He quit supplanting he quit trying to con. He quit trying to justify. He quit trying to get his mama to help him. He quit trying to get everybody around him to be conned and get enough people to tell him he was right so he felt justified in all of his lies and all of who he was. He finally, for one time in his life, quit playing games, and he said, my name is Jacob. What's the next words out of God's mouth? He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because I've been waiting for this day your whole life. You were Israel from the beginning, but you act like Jacob, so I let you be Jacob. <coughs> but when you told me you're Jacob, that's the first thing you've done your whole life that didn't act like Jacob. You act like Israel just now. So you passed the test. Now you're Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. All this striving, but how did he prevail? What was this provide? What was the strive? He said, you know, we act like, well, that means he strove, so he, he, he got God in, a, in the right place and said, I got you, and then God gave it to him. He's striven, you've striven with God and with man and prevailed. The prevailed was you quit. 
<laughs> You've done all that, and then you prevailed because you finally quit. And you said, I'm Jacob. When are you going to stop playing games? Awesomely enough, in Genesis 48, Israel, which used to be Jacob, the supplanter who wrestled his brother Esau out of the womb to get the birthright, tried to trick him with a pot of stew, put it, dressed himself up, all that, tried to get God in a chokehold to get extract the blessing from him by force. Thought he was the man, self-preserver, had all the street smarts and all the knowledge to make it through life and make everything happen for himself. He didn't. He didn't have anything until he had a humble heart, repentant spirit. He came out of hiding and confessed who he was. So years later, Genesis chapter 48, Israel now, same guy, saw Joseph's sons. He said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they're my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Look how this has happened now. Verse 10, now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim, with his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right. And brought them close to him, but Israel, but Israel, but Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on the head, hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands. Although Manasseh was the firstborn, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But Israel, <laughs> the one that learned what it means to not worry about who the firstborn is, to not worry about who does the most work, not worry about which one the Father puts in the right place to get the blessing. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will be a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, 
will pronounce blessings, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. In his dying breath, he said, the one thing I want to leave to y'all is the understanding that striving gets you nowhere. Controlling which one gets put at the right place by the right hand means nothing. There's plenty of blessing to go around. I know exactly who they are, and I know exactly what I'm doing. And God knows exactly who I was, <laughs> and he knew exactly what he was doing. Guys, he made me Israel. Let me tell you all some stories about the one who made Israel. Let me tell you what I tried to do to get the blessing. <laughs> and you're worried about which place I put my hands at this point? He's telling them it don't matter. It don't matter. It don't matter. I get so tired of hierarchy in the church. Looking down on people. Oh, well, look at you. Oh, man, you hear what they did? Who are you? We all? Huh? We all? We're dead. What, were you less dead or something? <laughs> Is it possible to be less dead? All that pride is doing is trying to position yourself at the right hand. And you know what's going to happen? When you get there, when you do all your stuff and you, you make everybody else feel like crap because you're so perfect and you make sure everybody knows how great you are and you get there and you're finally there and you're like, it's today's the day. I'm finally going to get my platform. I'm finally going to get what I deserve. God's just going to look at you. Put his hand on some jacked up looking humble person that just says, man, I'm dead and don't know what to do. God's going to say, yeah. And you're going to be like, what about me? Oh, you're going to get some stuff. But you didn't care that much about being known by me. You just cared a lot about me knowing what you do. Whoever truly wants to be known by him without any agenda of trying to manipulate the situation is going to be the one that he puts his hand on. You know, all of us weren't a people. 1 Peter 2, 9, 10, but now we're a people. None of us. We're a people, but now we're a people. How does a bunch of no peoples think they're more of a people than the other no peoples? That's like being the tallest pygmy. 
Bro, I'm the tallest pygmy. That's awesome. What, you want a cookie? (laughs) Of all the people that aren't a people, God likes me the most. We didn't have a prayer. We didn't have a hope without him. All of us were dead. And none of us were his people. We were dogs under the master's table. The one woman said, well, don't even the dogs get the scraps. And God was moved with compassion. We're living off of scraps that God had compassion enough to extend to us. All of us. Take your pride and put it on your collar. It's like comparing dog collars. I got the best dog collar. You're still a dog. Your breast still stinks. Jesus in the garden, God in the garden, Adam and Eve. Traded something they could know for being known. They eat the tree and their eyes are open. They know they're naked. What do they do? Grab fig leaves, put it on themselves, cover themselves. Jesus, come, God comes walking. Oh, I keep doing that. God keeps comes walking in the garden, looking for him. Where are you? Oh man, we hid ourselves. We were naked. Didn't you know we were naked? <laughs> Who told you you were naked? Once they knew they were naked, they had a choice to make. When they heard God walking in the cool of the day, they had a choice to make. Take what they know now and use it to hide from God. Take the knowledge we have about our nakedness and find a way to cover our nakedness so God won't know we're naked. Or, as soon as they heard him walking, they could have come running. We learned something today that I don't even want to know. And all I want to go back to is who I was before and be known by you. There's so many alternate scenarios that could have happened after that fruit was eaten. I don't even want to go there today. It might bring more confusion. I believe Adam could have died for Eve if he hadn't taken the fruit. God would have raised him immediately. He said what the first Adam didn't do, the second Adam did. 
So I think Adam, once Eve take the, took of the fruit, Adam could have said, oh, no. And he could have died for her. Could have went to God and said, God, take my life. My wife just ate of the tree. God could have took Adam's life and could have raised him again. Could have been done right there. But instead, they took what they knew and used it to hide their depravity. And we've been doing it ever since. Exchanging something you can know for being known. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12, on the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry, seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf. This is Jesus. He went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for the figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. I've heard so many sermons and teachings on why, G why Jesus cursed the fig tree. I went and studied the fig tree. Do you know that a fig tree, that fruit buds before leaves on a fig tree? So the fruit comes before the leaves come. It's a little different. Fruit comes before the leaves come on a fig tree. So it wasn't seasoned for the fig tree to have leaves. Okay? But it had leaves, which should mean it has fruit, because fruit comes before leaves. So it says, Jesus saw that the tree had leaves. He wouldn't even have went to the tree if he hadn't seen it had leaves. So he goes to the tree because he saw it had leaves but found no fruit on it. So the curse came because the fruitless tree tried to cover itself with fig leaves. Does anybody put that together? The curse came in the garden because the fruitless tree tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. The only way you can stay in your broken mess is if you refuse to be known by God. Because he's a healer. He's a restorer. And all those that come to him are free and healed and delivered. Mephibosheth was a son of Jonathan in 2 Samuel chapter 9. When Saul died and Jonathan died and all those died that were against, Jonathan had a covenant with David, but you know that whole family, that whole household under Saul was an enemy of David. And so when David became king. He looked for someone in the household of Saul to show favor to. And someone said, there's one son of Jonathan left. His name's Mephibosheth. Someone dropped him on his, when he was a baby, and he's been lame ever since. How many people here felt like you've been dropped when you were a baby? Life dropped you when you were a baby. Your mom and your dad who were supposed to care for you and provide for you and take care of you, they dropped you. 
and you've been limping ever since. And you think, that's great for everybody else, but everybody else don't have my problems. Everybody else didn't get dropped when they were a kid. Everybody else didn't have the parents I had. Everyone else didn't have the upbringing I had. Everybody else didn't go through what I went through. You don't know why I'm lame. You don't know my story. You know where that takes you? It takes you where it took Mephibosheth, a place called Lodabar. When David sent for Mephibosheth, they said he's in a place called Lodabar, hiding. And you know what Lodabar means? Not a destination. Some of y'all are living in not a destination. Where you're living at right now has no purpose, has no plan. It was never in the heart of God for you, and you're using an excuse because you were dropped when you were a kid, and all your circumstances and all your situations have left you with no choice. So I'm going to resign to live the rest of my days in a place that's completely outside of the plan and the will of God, and I'm just going to survive and be crippled in Lodabar. And David sent for him. He said, bring me somebody. He brought him to Fibosheth. He was crippled. There's only so far this analogy can go because there's only so far any Old Testament analogy can go. Like, they hit, the, you know, they drink out of the rock, which we know is Christ. So it's a picture of drinking from Christ. And Christ tells the woman in John chapter 4, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again, right? And so there's only so far the picture of drinking out of the rock in the Old Testament can do to really portray Christ because those people got thirsty again. And they had to drink out of another rock again. And so the Old Testament, as awesome as it may be to prophesy and show forth Christ, it's limited, same thing with this story about Mephibosheth. So David brings in Mephibosheth, and he says, I'm going to show kindness to you. But when Mephibosheth comes in, you know what he does? He falls on his face in fear. So he thinks David's going to kill him if he knows who he is. But David asked him who he is, and Mephibosheth had to make a decision. Tell him who I am or run a con and live. You're afraid of God, and you're trying to play a game with God, and you're trying to hide from God. But if you'll just come to God, and you'll tell him who you are, he's got a seat for you at the table. Amen. He told him who he is, and he said, get up. I'm going to show kindness to you. You and all your children are going to eat at my table. The most beautiful thing about that to me is when you look around the table, and you got Mephibosheth, and you got David's sons, which one of them is crippled? I can't even tell. Because that's all under the table. And he's sitting there just like all the other sons. 
You can't tell he was in Lodabar. You can't tell he was dropped when he was a kid. He's just another son now. Now what the Old Testament is limited in is we know that if that was in the New Testament, Mephibosheth wouldn't have been crippled anymore. <laughs> if he sat beside Christ, if he sat by the sun, if he sat by at the table, then the legs are restored, right? As soon as you get tired of playing games in Lodabar in a place that's not a destination, blaming everything on what happened to you when you were a kid and all your circumstances and all your situations, whenever you're ready to tell God, here I am, here's all of me, I'm tired of hiding, take off the fig leaves, quit trying to cover it up with religion, then you'll truly get to sit at the table. All of your striving is getting you close to the table. But all you're doing is bringing out the dishes. You could be sitting down, resting in sonship as a daughter if you quit hiding. Quit hiding. Quit hiding. I don't know who Esau is in your life, but quit trying to wear their clothes. Quit trying to smell like them. Quit trying to kick, cook like them. Quit trying to do everything like them. You receive their blessing, but it doesn't compare to your blessing that you're forfeiting. Because the greatest blessing is just to be known by him. So you can get all the stuff, but you're not known. And the deepest desire of every human being is to be known by God. And so religion, the mother of manipulation, its greatest desire is to rob you of being known by God. It can get you to cover up everything and prove how much you know God. Prove how much you know. Prove how much you know. Eat of that tree. I know, I know. I was jealous. I wanted to know. I come in to know. But you're not known anymore. You're hiding. Someone come play this morning. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. I love that. Paul's like, don't worry, I'm okay. I don't mind to say this again. No trouble, no problem. Let me say it one more time. And it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision, which circumcises what's seen. 
You could add there, beware of the manipulating mothers. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. We glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Let me tell you what all I've done. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, you want to know how zealous I was? You want to know how passionate I was? You know how much of a go-getter I was? A persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. I had it all going on. I had every leaf perfectly placed that you could possibly have. Can you just see like the Cub Scouts, but leaves? Religion tries to build you a sash of leaves to put you back in the curse in the garden. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And that I, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He laid hold of you. Remember, when you were dead in your transgressions, he laid hold of you to give you something. And you've got to press to lay hold of what he laid hold of you for you to lay hold of. Brethren, I do not regard myself having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I don't get it all right, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the upward prize? Him to be known by Him. Everyone is susceptible. When Jesus told the disciples he had to die, Peter rebuked Jesus and told him he didn't have to die. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. 
You're not thinking right. You're thinking like the mother of manipulation right now. We all got the same dad, but we got different moms. We're born of different moms. We try to have our relationship with our dad based on which mom we believe we're from. We weren't a people, but now we're a people. Now we all should be from the mother of promise, freedom, not manipulation and control of religion. Everybody stand up with me this morning. prodigal son came home the older brother got so mad because they threw a party he said well I've been doing all the stuff all the time and the dad just said I've been doing everything man I've been working so hard that's nice that's nice Prayer team, if you'll come up this morning. We're going to go in just a minute. But I want to give people a chance to pray. I know there's a lot to process today. And I always want it to be super simple. And I don't know if I made it super simple today. But I hope the Holy Spirit makes it super simple to you. In this moment, right now, this is the picture I see. I see David trying to find Mephibosheth. And there's an invitation to sit at the table. And I see Mephibosheth in a place that's not a de destination. And I know his legs didn't come off when he got dropped, but I could just see his legs lifeless just behind him. And as David is walking through Lodabar, comes to rescue him and find him. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Jacob, Jacob, Mephibosheth, Jeremy, Jeff. 
I see us so scared of what's outside of a place that's not a destination. That we're literally just dragging our limp, lifeless legs as hard as we can away from the voice that's calling us home. can't believe it. I can't believe it. He'd want to help me if he, he just wants to hurt me. He just wants to kill me. If he sees my legs, if he sees my problem, if he sees all this stuff, then so we're just going as hard as we can go, just lifeless in a place that is not supposed to be a destination, in a condition that's illegal, in a life that stinks, in a circumstance that's terrible, and we're just crawling around in it, hiding. Because we're so scared of rejection, failure. And I just want to tell you, if nobody else in this room tells you, me and you were in the exact same boat. Don't let where I'm standing today or some perceived position of authority or power, don't, don't let that deceive you. Don't let that confuse you. Don't let that do anything for you. I'm a broken, jacked-up mess, crawling around in a place I never was supposed to be at, living in a way I was never supposed to live, didn't know God and I wasn't known by God because I was hiding behind all my stuff and what I knew and what I thought and what I had and I was hiding. And I, like you, just kept crawling away. Every time he'd say my name, I'd crawl away. Go deeper and deeper into not a destination. Go deeper and deeper away from promise. Go deeper and deeper away from the path he's trying to call me to because I was so afraid. You know what would happen? I'd mess up again, and then I'd think i got to crawl further away because I messed up more. And then yesterday, it might have been possible, but not today because I messed up worse today. So now, now what it could have been possible yesterday is less possible today because I didn't understand the heart of God. And I just kept crawling away. <laughs> and you know what? I'm still tempted to crawl away. Some days I'm still tempted to crawl away. Some days I don't speak right to my wife. Some days I don't speak right to my kids. Some days I don't handle situations right. And you know what I want to do? I want to crawl away. And I want to hide behind I was dropped as a kid. I want to hide behind I learned that, that kind of action from this person or I learned that kind of action from this person or I'm a result of my upbringing or I'm a result of the church or I'm a result of something. And so I, I, I'm all these reasons and so I'll never be whole. So let me just crawl away. But he's so good. That he keeps coming after me. 
I know, son, I know, I know, I know. I know you're hurting. I know you hate that. I know you feel so bad about it. I know you feel awful. I know you feel guilt. I know you feel shame. I know you feel all that stuff, but come on back to the table. Come on back to the table. This is exactly, this is exactly what I died for. It's okay. I try not to cry or be dramatic at this point of a service in any way because I don't want anybody to feel manipulated. But God's calling people today. He's calling you today. And he's just asking the question like he asked, asked Jacob, what's your name? Who are you right now? And he's just wondering if you'll just confess. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I got dropped when I was a kid. I don't have any qualifications. I don't have any badges. I don't have any stuff. You probably won't want me, but I just, today, I just had to know. I just had to just put it all out there. I was going to put myself out there in the face of rejection and the possible letdown and just say, here I am. If you'll do that today, if you'll say that today, kind of a big step but I just I just see like I just see like the prodigal son coming home I see like Mephibosheth making a decision to present himself to David there's nothing divine or sacred about this area up here any more than any area anywhere else or anything like that but I do feel like today we just need to leave Lodabar as a step of faith and walk up here in a place of transparency find one of these folks to pray with and I need some more somebody else wants to come be a Help us pray, please. Anybody, you just want to present yourself, say, here I am. I mean, I don't care if you've got an army crawl and drag your legs up here. I don't care what you got to do. Will you come out of hiding? Will you come out of hiding? Some of you need to take your leaves off. Some of you, it's going to be tough, but you need to take your leaves off. You know why God's doing amazing things at Redemption Lifehouse? Because those men took their leaves off. 
Some of them were on rock bottom, so it wasn't hard. You know, life had robbed all their leaves off. But still yet, they humbled themselves. Still yet, they've humbled themselves. Do you have to be at rock bottom to humble yourself? Some of us need to take our religious leaves off. You know him, you know all about him, you know 1,500 verses, you know all kinds of stuff, but you know deep down he don't know you. He knows you, but he's, you're not known by him. You, don't know, you, you haven't given him permission to know you. just hearing some things I'm going to throw it out there I have no idea if they all go together or if they're different individuals in the room but I'm hearing um, like an address sunset circle does that mean anything to anybody sunset circle and I see um, a red and black bicycle a little boy riding a red and black bicycle and I hear the name Daniel I don't know who you are in the room, but somebody, when you were a little boy, eight, nine years old, your mom was really sick when you were about eight or nine, and you had to fend for yourself. I just say all that to say what, I don't know what that means to anybody, or you started hiding then, and you felt unseen then. I just see this bicycle riding around this cul-de-sac, just trying to escape. It's the only way you knew to escape. But God was with you. He's riding that bike with you. Lord, I just release a grace in the room today to take us back to when we started hiding. Not just the moment now, but when we started hiding. Holy Spirit, would you show us where you were when we started hiding? Would you show us where you were when we came under the lie that nobody sees me, nobody knows, nobody cares? And by your grace today, would you undo it? Just unravel a lie.
Perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve, and you take the broken things and raise them to glory. Cause you are my champion. teaching me how to receive it so let all the striving cease this is my victory now and now i can finally see it you're teaching me how to receive it so let all this striving cease this is my victory Cause you are my champion And giants fall when you stand undefeated Every battle you've won Cause I am who you say I am Cause you crown me with confidence I am seen in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who has conquered it all has given me 
Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.